News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Of course, we are just days away now from the World Cup kicking off. I think a lot of the focus for people is on the fact that this is the first time Canada has been at the World Cup since 1986. So how much interest is there for Canadians to watch this time around and to support that team? Let's find out. Sebastian Delaire is with us now, Senior Vice President at Ipsos Canada. Good morning. Good morning. So I know you've been asking Canadians about this. What's the result? Are we excited? Uh, kind of lukewarm so far. Um, not, not extremely excited. This is all new. There might be a little bit of the controversy with the choice of Qatar involved as well. So uh, hit and miss so far. But we can think that if, if Canada starts doing well, things will probably turn around very quickly. <laughs> that's usually the case, isn't it? Uh, I was, I'm not surprised by that because I was wondering if that's the only thing that is keeping some people interested in this World Cup is the fact that Canada's there. Unfortunately, it has to be this particular World Cup. So how many people say they're going to watch this? Uh, it's about a third of Canadians who, who are saying that they're, they're going to watch it so far. We're at 34%. Uh, not much variation generally, but younger Canadians are more interested. Uh, those who've never lived the, the previous iteration of, of, of Canada playing at, at the World Cup. So this is all new, and we know that younger generations are more interested in soccer generally in the MLS. So we, we do see a bit of an age gap uh, in the results. Oh, that's interesting. So is that right across the board, just in general, younger people are more interested in watching the World Cup than their parents or their grandparents? Uh, yes, that, that's what we're seeing in the data pretty much across the board. Interesting. Okay, and how does that compare uh, with other countries? There was a global Ipsos survey on this as well, mm-hmm. wasn't there? Yeah, it's interesting. We have two different dimensions here. One that points to maybe a little bit of a Qatari effect, as we mentioned, that when we compare results, because we did the same study in 2018 globally, uh, and now we're comparing to 2022, there's been a general decrease of interest around the world. So there is a little bit of a dampening effect globally. And we see a bit of the same thing in Canada. Despite the Canadian team being involved, Canadians are a bit less interested than they were in 2018. And generally speaking, when the, the second dimension is when we compare Canada to other countries, there are some big gaps, and especially in Europe and Latin America, so more traditional football powerhouses, we see big differences where people are much more interested in, in other countries compared to Canada. But again, a lot of this will hinge on how well we're doing and whether we qualify again in four years. So it's going to be the built up over time. If this becomes more traditional, then Canadians will certainly become more interested. Right. What about the idea of the location? How much has the news about Qatar, how they got the World Cup, uh, the controversy surrounding you know, the, the country itself, how much has that impacted people? It does seem to have a big, uh, big effect. When, when we look at global results, uh, comparing 2018 to 2022, and same thing for Canada, despite the team's presence, we have, uh, in some countries, the, the interest will go down by 30 or 40 percentage points. So it's, uh, it, it's a fairly big gap. So it seems to be having an effect. But we, we've known from previous Olympic cycles, sometimes when there were controversies about the host countries, once the competition starts, if the competition is good, if you have 
reasons to start cheering for for your country, then interest tends to go up. But there's definitely a bit of time in the penalty box to start. Okay, and also you did ask people about how they how optimistic they are about our chances, didn't you? <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did. And and Canadians are fairly optimistic. I mean, only four percent think that. Canada will win at all, but we know the chances of Canada winning at all are close to zero unless four percent is probably aligned with the, with the odds that we think <laughs> might happen. You know, it would be a massive surprise, but we do have high expectations. Uh, getting out of the initial group stage, sixteen uh, percent. This is think this is where it's going to 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 happen. Some feel like you know Canada will make it to the quarterfinals. Um, about fifteen percent. About seven percent say we'll make it to the semifinals, so that we're getting to very optimistic territory. So uh, Canadians are generally speaking fairly optimistic, um, but again, considering that most Canadians are not big soccer fans, there's probably a lot of uncertainty, and we see about a third say I don't know what to expect really. So well, it's uh, a lot. Yeah. Lots of people on the fence. It sounds like uh, Sebastian. Thank you so much. My pleasure. That is Sebastian Delaire, who's a senior vice president at Ipsos Canada, talking about how Canadians, how you are feeling about the World Cup, which kicks off on Sunday. Only about 63% of the people they surveyed, uh, actually, actually, I shouldn't say only, it's 63% of the people they surveyed said they actually couldn't care less about the World Cup and only 34% said they are going to be paying close attention to the tournament. Now, of course, we'll cheer for Team Canada, right, and hope for the best. They do have their first game coming up against Belgium, which uh, actually is a top-ranked team, so that's a tough draw there for the first one. But, of course, we will be cheering for Team Canada. This is Mornings with Simi. It is the worst thing you can imagine for so many people, getting a cancer diagnosis or even a possible cancer diagnosis and then having to wait. Wait for the phone call, wait for treatment, wait for some answers. Unfortunately, it is happening far too often in the system. In BC, where we used to be known for having an amazing cancer care system, sadly, it doesn't seem like that's the case anymore. Joining us now to talk more about this is Andrea Wu, Globe and Mail reporter. She has an incredible piece on this about lengthy wait times for cancer treatment in the Globe and Mail newspaper this week. Andrea, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Tell me about this piece and the stories that you are getting from people. I mean, they were absolutely heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're hearing that our wait times in many cases at BC Cancer have grown from what should be weeks into months. And so that's leaving people with a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety, and in some cases, possible disease progression to the point that what might have been a simple surgical cure if you had had timely treatment is suddenly uh, a need to, to go get radiation or chemotherapy or potentially worse. And is this the result of the pandemic? Is this a, a result of backlog? Like what is happening? About What have you heard about that? Uh, so this, this is a, a longer answer. So I've spoken with dozens of people intimately familiar with what's happening in the system, including past presidents, oncologists, nurses, radiologists. Um, and what they're saying is that while the pandemic for sure exacerbated pressures on all healthcare, what we're seeing in BC's cancer system right now is the effective decisions that were made many years ago. So um, I'm trying to think of the most streamlined way to, to explain <laughs> this. Um, 2001, BC Cancer was moved under the purview of the newly created Provincial Health Services Authority. 
Um, and before then, it had its own board of directors, a direct line to the Ministry of Health. And since it moved under the umbrella of PHSA, the past president said they no longer had a freedom to exercise strategic decisions. So uh, one past president said it shifted the whole emphasis away from medicine and science leading into the future to making the medicine fit with the budget. Two past presidents had sounded the alarm on capacity issues as far back as 10 years ago. They said our system was pretty much full. We need huge investments. And they said that they were essentially ignored. Three past presidents left early because they felt that there were their hands were tied and they couldn't affect the changes that they felt were necessary. Wow. Uh, what has been the government response to these stories? Uh, well, BC Health Minister Adrian Dix, he has uh, acknowledged that we are having more cancer cases. He sees it not as a structural or governance issue, but um, uh, uh, he says it's because that we have a growing and aging population, which is accurate. We do. The past presidents and others would counter that we saw this coming and that we should have better prepared for this. Um, Dr. Kim Wan-Chi, who's the current head of BC Cancer, he says we're making massive efforts to recruit right now, but that we have steep national and international competition and that it can take an average of 8 to 12 months to recruit a new oncologist. Um, I believe oncologist compensation is the lowest in BC or lowest in Canada, and we know what the cost of living is like here. Um, so, I mean, it's it's uh it's very similar to what we're doing with the family doctor shortage now where we're starting to make efforts to recruit and retain more physicians. Right, but we are just so far behind. Now you have no shortage of stories, examples of people and are you getting more like since the story came out, are people contacting you and telling you more stories? Yeah, it's been really heartbreaking. I've been hearing from patients. I've been hearing from doctors, people who either used to work in the system or still are, and they're terrified to put their names out there, but they're expressing frustration of their working conditions. Um, some of the the wait times, I think, might be interesting for your listeners because I found it pretty shocking when I started pulling at the threads. So, um talking to people and getting data from oncologists who work in the system because this is not publicly available data. Um, so let's say you you have symptoms and you're referred to an oncologist from your family doctor. That's already uh, a hurdle because we know about a million British Columbians don't have a family doctor. But once you refer to an oncologist, ideally you're able to get in for a first consultation within a benchmark of two weeks. So this only about 20% of people are seen within two weeks. And in fact, there are many cases in which people are waiting two to three months for a first consultation. Uh, in comparison, about 75% of patients in Ontario receive a first consultation within two weeks. Um, gynecologic cancers, if we look at specific cancers, women with urgent high-grade gynecologic cancers are being booked today. We're speaking in mid-November November for surgeries in February and March. What? So a three-month wait for an... Yeah. Three month wait for an urgent cancer. That's that's crazy. And how are those times acceptable? They are absolutely not. And when I talked to uh, Sarah Finlinson, she was uh, the head of gynecologic oncology at UBC. She was quoted in the most recent story. She was 
uh, you know, it's sort of heartbreaking to listen to what her work has become because she is being made to make these impossible decisions because of staffing issues and uh, issues accessing the operating room. She'll have women there that she has to essentially triage for surgery. So who who do I pick today? Is it going to be the woman who traveled a great distance to get here? Is it going to be the single mom? And she says she has to make decisions like this almost every day now. Uh, it almost feels like, Andrea, when you're talking about this, that this can't possibly be happening here, right? In a province as wealthy as this one. It, it is shocking to hear these stories, isn't it? BC Cancer was one of the best cancer agencies in Canada and was being modeled, essentially, um, from some other agencies in Canada and around the world. And it had a really great international repute and... Several of the past presidents would say that we're about average now, maybe. Maybe, if we're lucky. Andrea, are you going to continue your coverage on this? I certainly am. All right. Well, I look forward to reading more. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's Andrea Wu, Globe and Mail reporter. Check out her extensive piece in the Globe and Mail. You'll read about this. It's the lengthy wait times for some BC cancer patients, which I know I'm not alone in just thinking... That is unacceptable. You cannot have people waiting for cancer treatment. And yeah, the system here in BC was something that we used to be really proud of, that we would say, you know what, it's a terrible thing to have that diagnosis, but you're in BC and you're going to get looked after. And if we can't count on that anymore, then we need to get that fixed. Now, if you have a story to share with me, please do. Simi at cknw.com. You can Call our buzz line or tw- uh, text me at 604-331-2899. This is Mornings with Simi. All right, so it may not be day one, but if you ask the ABC Majority Council in Vancouver, they'll say, hey, they are on track. They are going to hire the 100 new police officers and the 100 new mental health nurses. It's just going to take a little longer than planned. So the plan, though, was actually put down on paper kind of this week. Uh, it was one of the first motions to council. But what are the concerns here? So we heard Councillor Lisa Dominato earlier on the Jazz Joe Hall show talking about they're on this, they're going to get this done. But what are the concerns with this plan? Well, joining us now is Christine Boyle, Vancouver City Councillor, as well, to talk about that. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks so much for having me on. Does this look like a plan that is on its way to getting done? There are a number of questions uh, about this plan. Let's start there. You know, the the campaign slogan was 100 police and 100 nurses, and and that obviously was catchy. It got them quite a few people elected. Um, I would have expected a more thorough plan related to that uh, catchy slogan, and so even I was surprised to see this motion before council this week um, it isn't fully costed out. The numbers in it don't don't relate to the numbers they they plan to hire. Um, I, I don't know if they have the full costing and just aren't showing it to us, or um, or if even they don't know the full cost of this plan. And then, uh, as I'm sure your listeners have heard, there are lots of questions the public has about how we would hire a hundred nurses, where we would find them. Um, I think all of those are really important questions. We should be making decisions 
uh, with all of that information. And so I was, uh, you know, surprised and concerned to see this come forward with actually so little of a plan. Um, But actually, my larger concerns actually are about effectiveness. I absolutely welcome and support investing in community safety. Everyone should feel safe in Vancouver. Uh, And every investment that we make should be squarely aimed at addressing the problems that we face and and should be implementable. Um, And... Uh, what we heard from speakers to the motion of council this week and what we've been hearing from experts is that particularly related to mental health, uh, we need a a non-police response team. You know, teams that can phone police in cases where they need backup, but but there are many calls in which they um, aren't needed and we should be making sure that we're sending the right people to each of those calls um, to be most effective and also to make the most effective use of our uh, public dollars. Okay, so then is any of that in the works, Councillor Boyle? Like when you look at this plan, is there going to be a time and a place for you and some of the other councillors to talk about those issues? You know, it, it's very unclear. I've heard um, the, the Mayor's Chief of Staff said this will absolutely pass. Uh, I have some, I, I have many questions and also uh, some amendments I hope to move, including making sure that we are uh, evaluating this program as it goes, that we uh, are tracking metrics of its effectiveness, that we know uh, what calls are being responded to, what type of response they needed, what the outcome was, so that if the plan is to continue to put money into it, we're making sure that that it's working, you know, that, that that's worthwhile. And if not, that we're uh, consulting with organizations like the Canadian Mental Health Association, crisis centers of BC, um, even the the new uh, crisis response program in Toronto that is a non-police mental health crisis response, so that we can adapt and and uh, shift to be effective to make sure that again this these public investments are meeting the important community need that we know about. So that's an ask I will be making of the motion. Right. Um, Uh, I am curious, though, just to go back to what you were saying at the beginning here. uh, Where are all these people going to come from? It's a great question. I wonder that, too. Uh, And it hasn't really been addressed. I mean, every time I see in the media or the public... Uh, the question asking of where are we hiring these people, it's been sort of glossed over, we'll figure that out, you know, that's for implementation. And again, I, it seems to me as a key promise of uh, ABC's platform, they should have thought about that ahead of time. Uh, that's the way politics usually is, right? Like, I, I, feel guess, like- I guess so, <laughs> I, but I, I just wish we were here to solve the problems and not just throw out catchy slogans. Yeah. Well, elections, that's the way they go. But when you look at what is happening, there clearly is a desire, given the way people voted, for something to be done. Do you sense that from residents saying, listen, we need to get on this? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's exactly why I I am uh, so interested in pilot projects that are happening in other municipalities, Toronto, Edmonton, Victoria, the North Shore, uh, where they've been building uh, response, crisis response teams that are focused on mental health, that have that particular expertise to de-escalate a situation, to provide the supports and stability that somebody would need. Um, 
One of the things we heard from uh, Stacey Ashton, the ED of the BC Crisis Center, uh, was that 98% of the calls that they get, they're, they're mostly suicide-related calls, they're able to manage over the phone. Um, in the small percentage of cases where they, uh, where they can't resolve the situation over the phone and support the person and calm them down, they have no option but to phone the police, even though many times uh, the person in crisis that they're speaking to has been very clear uh, that they don't want the police to arrive. Um, and Stacy also spoke to the fact that often, if and when the police arrive, um, their tools are limited. All they can do is take that person in crisis to the hospital often very little the hospital can do and they're discharged right away. So that we have this revolving door system. It's not working for people. And I hear um, very clearly from the public that they want us to be addressing and supporting uh, the, the crises that we're seeing in our community. Um, and it's, it's my priority that we do that in a way that is effective, that's meeting people's needs. Uh, and so lots of examples to be looking at about that. Um, and I just don't see um, the, this campaign promise uh, meeting the concerns that I, too, have been hearing in, in the city. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thanks for having me on. That is Christine Boyle, Vancouver City Councillor, talking about her concerns regarding the uh, Vancouver Council plan with the ABC Majority's plan to hire new police officers, new mental health nurses, not the 100 that they had said would happen on day one. About, I think right now they funded about 57 uh, officers and fewer nurses given the amount of money they've allocated. But the question also is, where are you going to find them? Found a way in, simi at cknw.com.